Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Morning, Nia. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Uh, not bad. And uh, listeners, uh, I do want to apologize if my voice um, sounds a little bit. Um, Kathleen uh, Turner. Uh, <laughs> if you sound a little bit like Kathleen Turner, you know how she's got that low, smoky, sexy voice. Or like you've been chewing gravel. Uh, yes. Um, uh, uh, what some of my friends uh, have said, it sounds like uh, one has been out at a bar um, uh, smoking and drinking uh, a lot of whiskey. For days. Um, uh, yes, <laughs> right. Uh, I am uh, coming off a, a bad cold and it is springtime in Richmond, which means um, allergies. Um, when we are recording this episode, um, uh, uh, allergy season has uh, kicked in uh, in the Richmond area. I would so, like to say that there's a season for allergies for Richmond for me, but in fact, I'm allergic to Richmond all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever blooms here, it's just a cycle of things that bloom that make me... Um, From pollen to grass to oh, mold. Okay. To whatever it is in the winter, it just, it just yeah. Uh, it, I, then, I should it, buy um, tissue stock because oh, yeah. I feel in certain paper, that I keep those companies, companies in business. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, um, uh, uh, and, and, and this is probably more information than our listeners want, but I'm one of those allergy sufferers to where it affects my vocal cords. Ah. Um, and um, so at some point uh, here in the next couple of days, I fully expect uh, to have a full-blown case of laryngitis <laughs> where I sound like Don Corleone in The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. Um, Look what they've done to my boy. But <laughs> I'm telling you, one of the best films ever. Um, okay. By the, by the way, listen. Although it, violence, yeah. so we will offer a trigger warning to people who don't like violent movies. The The Godfather is rather violent. It is rather violent. But Nia, it, 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 uh, did uh, it dawn on you that this year, um, and in fact, just a couple weeks ago, it was the fiftieth. 50th anniversary of the release of The Godfather. I did not know that. Yes. Um, that movie's been around for 50 years. Well, that oh doesn't goodness. make me feel old. <clears throat> yeah. um, but anyways, listeners, anyway. today's episode is not about um, uh, our allergy suffering or, uh, or for that matter, movies. No, uh, I need you to explain something to me today. Okay. It that so okay, voting. Uh, I will, by the way, let everybody know that I was so excited a couple of weeks ago. I was, I know, I know, I was watching C SPAN, and a lawyer <laughs> was like, I'm the time, place, and manner of holding elections. And I was like, Augie, oh, right? Because it made me think of you because you say that phrase a lot. We should probably put that as part of our merch. Um, oh, yeah, hey, that, the that Augie's be- time, place, and manner. Right, yeah. <laughs> which I think would be really cool. That'd also be a cool name for a band. Um, but the so 
voting is is decided by the legislature of a state right says that in the constitution yes but in virginia everything that passes through the legislature in virginia has to go to the governor to get signed yes any bill so what did the founders not think of, that there would be governors or I think that's unlikely. A lot of them had been governors. But like, how is that? How does that work with uh, with what the okay. Constitution says, and then what in actual practice okay, happens? So, okay, so there are two historical or contextual points. Um, so, listeners, um, our general topic today is a doctrine that has been receiving quite a bit of press. Um, and that doctrine is known as the independent state legislature doctrine. But before we get to the doctrine, Nia, your question touches upon first two clauses in the US Constitution. One is the electors clause, which is Article 2, Section 1. And it reads, quote, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in Congress. Right, now, that sets up your electors that then actually do the college of the electoral college, the electoral right? college in which like they vote for the states to they vote for the states in order to complete the elections for, for presidential elections. Well, yes. actually, they do it in December. But anyway, yeah, it's after the November election. After the they November gather election. and they say, you know what? And most of us, most of us, Nia, focus on the part, the whole numbers of senators and representatives. Right. How many electors you get? Do, do we get in the Electoral College? Right. Because right? the Electoral College is what actually elects people, not us. That's right. Okay. <laughs> the vote uh, is to make us feel good. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and we talked about this in a previous podcast episode. Right. <laughs> the framers didn't really trust us. The masses, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Okay. You guys could possibly pick poorly. So we will have an auxiliary check, okay, right. on your preference. Okay? Right, which is not the worst thing in the world. And we've talked about the pros and cons of that. We, yes. can, we could debate that again later if we want it. But, but there's a but, second clause, right? Okay. Well, in but this, wait, you said there though, as the legislature thereof may direct. May direct, and I want you to keep that in mind, listeners. Right. So hold on, right? The second clause is the elections clause, and Nia, your sharing of your CNN experience of recent vintage <laughs> touches upon touches upon this clause. Quote, and this is in Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution. The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. Now, Nia, we've talked about the, time, the times, places, and manner, and that's what many people focus on because right. that. So that's where you get right when people are talking about having to show states. identification or whatever. That's the manner. 
when they're talking about where polling places are located, that's places, right? And when they're talking about how long the polls are open, that's time. Yeah. That's usually what we focus on in an election. Is yes, because on election nights, okay, we will hear commentators on the, the various- polls close in California at 7 p.m. Right. Which is okay. 10 p.m. Eastern time and too late for me. I go to bed. But okay. But in other states, the polls open at six and they right. close at six, which usually leads a whole bunch of people to go ahead and say on that one day every two or four years. So it's not uniform across the country. <laughs> right. No, it's not uniform across the country. Right. Because right? 50 states make the choice. Yeah, right. But the most important clause for this podcast episode is the language in both of those clauses. So the most important language in both of those clauses is the legislature thereof may direct or shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature. And where this has become an issue is because there are those who argue that when coming up with voting districts for House of Representative members and for other kinds of elections and voting laws, that language, if read, okay, by the plain meaning of those words, the only part of states who have any kind of role would be the legislature. Thus, the doctrine, independent state legislature doctrine. But in Virginia, we have a commission to work ah. on the redistricting. Ah. Like, and okay. that's not the legislature. That's, that's a not the legislature. That's a separate commission. And Nia, as you, as you mentioned a few moments ago, in all 50 states, bills don't become laws until who signs them? The governor. Okay. A la the president and the federal Congress. Those are, they are mirrors of... Yes. Okay. Of each other. And in all 50 states, if there are disputes about state laws, <laughs> the courts settle them. The courts settle them again. State court or federal court, depending on. And this is known as checks and balances, right? Which is a good thing. Yes. Right. Okay. Like this it. is a this is a fundamental part of the American form of democracy. Right, because it keeps people very, from going bananas and just doing stuff. It, it, yeah, it, it, it's what I tell students all the time. The American form of democracy is not efficient, okay? Because if you think about it, you got to convince two houses of Congress or in 49 out of the 50 states, two houses of the state legislature <gasps> Who's the to 50? do something. Do you know which state only is unicameral? I don't. Which one is? It's Nebraska. Nebraska? It's Nebraska. What, yes. they just have one group and they're like, we just can't be bothered to have a second group? <laughs> Nebraska. Huh. It, it, and there's nothing that. There's requires. nothing wrong with that necessarily. Yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> I'm Augie's laughing because I'm sure my face looks a little surprised because I honestly did not know there was a unicameral unicameral state. Le state legislature yep I might have to move to Nebraska just to see how that works anyway but 
and then you got to convince the president or at the state level a governor to sign to sign a bill and then it's got you've got to make sure that it doesn't interfere with any other bill or it's going to go to the courts and then it's going to have to be fought out and dealt with there or if it violates a state constitutional provision or if it violates a federal law or a federal constitutional provision checks and balances right yeah not very efficient okay but it's designed to avoid and this would be another slogan on our um, <laughs> uh, merchandise avoid government tyranny <laughs> avoid government tyranny yes right yes sounds so ominous right i like okay. it though government yes. tyranny is terrifying now, the reason why uh, listeners were talking about this is that there were two cases um, at the state, uh, state level that recently were appealed to the Supreme Court and the Supremes rejected the cases. And both of them concerned the redrawing of congressional districts. So meaning they didn't hear the cases or they said They no did not appeal. hear the case. They okay. did not... They did not grant cert. Okay. Okay. Uh, and again, listeners, I uh, direct you to uh, previous one of episodes. Our, yeah, one of our previous episodes, right? Where we where we have the thing called cert. Yes. To explain what all that is. Yeah, writs of certiorari. Okay. The cert writ. Okay. The court denied cert. However, okay. In denying um, uh, uh, one of the cases. Um, well, in fact, denying both appeals, four of the justices indicated that in the future, the Supreme Court should actually consider the merits of the independent state legislature doctrine. Okay, just can I summarize both cases by saying they were arguments about districting? Yes. Yep. Okay. And, and that's not surprising because this is the time of this is the time of the decade when we do that yes. when it, after the census comes in and we and we say hey all the numbers have changed and we should change the districts and whoever's in charge tries to build the map to give them a favor and that happens on both sides of the of the political spectrum actually on all sides of the political spectrum because if there were third parties they would do it too yes. um I mean, that's just the natural, oh, we should hoard power while we can thing that people do. Um, but anyway, so that's what, so they were saying, we're not even taking on the district in question, but, but what they are saying is, but we should at some point take on the question of, of the state, the legislature making those decisions. Unilaterally. Right. Okay. Because in both of these cases, one case came from North Carolina. The other case came from Pennsylvania. Um, Republican controlled legislatures drew congressional district maps. And they were challenged as uh, violating state constitutional provisions about being too partisan. And in both of those cases, state Supreme Courts redrew the maps, redrew ah, the maps. Okay. So the state legislatures filed an appeal with the U.S. Supreme Court saying, 
Well, according to these two clauses in the US Constitution, only state legislatures can draw the maps. And the Supreme Court didn't take the cases, but, okay, you have four justices on the Supreme Court who are like, we might want to visit this in the future, which again, if you don't, if you don't study the Supreme Court, when you have justices of the Supreme Court issue an opinion when the court has denied a case that basically says, but we should look at this issue in the future, that's basically some of the justices of the Supreme Court telling lawyers. Inviting a case. Yeah, they are basically sending a cue. This is known as cue theory. This is where the court is basically saying, ding, 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 ding. For those of you who do this kind of law, we might be willing. If you bring us the right case. We might be willing to take it. And, and in part, I suspect that, that they would need to bring a case that is less um, hot button issue. Yes. So yeah. either three or four years from now when it's less hot yes. button issue, although I don't know that that would be the case three or four years from now or something else, but that some other angle of this question of does the legislature have sole proprietorship yeah, because, over elections? Because what the Pennsylvania and North Carolina state Supreme Courts did, okay, was not all that egregious. I mean, the maps that they redrew, okay, um, I mean, because what the state legislatures did <laughs> was obvious cases of partisan gerrymandering, right? Right. Okay. Um, in listeners, if you don't know this, both Pennsylvania and North Carolina are considered battleground states. Right. Okay. Um, they are closely divided um, in terms of the two main political parties, Democrat and Republicans. It just so happens that both of the participants in this podcast are from those states. <laughs> so we can go ahead and tell you how closely divided each of our home states actually are right. in regards to Democrat versus Republican, right? Very purple. Yeah, right? You know, presidential election years, candidates of both parties spend a lot of quality time in both Pennsylvania and North Carolina, right? Yep. And if you're a voter in those states, you oh get- Oh my gosh, you get tired. exhausted. Yeah. You, you get exhausted with all the political robocalls you get and all the visits from people. And, the and if you're in a city oh, um, oh. that they're visiting and it snarls up the traffic and you, you're just like, go away. Oh you my You can't turn goodness. on the radio or watch TV without an advertisement from yeah, either or terrible. both candidates. You're just like- Or their proxies. That's their also proxies. bad, right? So, the, so it's yes. just wall to wall for yes. the entire year and a half before an election. It's exhausting. Now, Nia, can you guess which of the four justices who sent out this cue that they might be willing to uh, look at the independent state legislature doctrine? Well, 
as far as like the constructionists on the court yes i'm i get that confused in my brain the only one i could say for absolute certain is justice thomas yeah. justice thomas is a constructionist has Strict. been Strict. and he and he's not playing okay. and he he's like if you want the constitution to say something different amend the dang thing like yes you have the words that power. mean what the words mean right you right? have that power go do go do your job legislation legislators and if you don't don't expect us to be kind to you because we're going to read it as straight up what the words say but yes. i'm not sure who the others who alito okay. maybe Okay, yeah, the you're basically talking about Clarence Tom, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, uh, Sam Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh. Oh, Kavanaugh's a constructionist. Okay. Yeah, he generally is a strict constructionist. Okay. Okay. Um, now, um, so J. Rob is not. J. Rob has indicated in previous Supreme Court cases that he doesn't believe those two clauses prohibit governors, state courts, or in the case of uh, 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 redistricting commissions, okay? Okay. He, he thinks that if the voters of a state change a state constitution, so that redistricting is done by independent or bipartisan commissions, he doesn't believe the U.S. Constitution has been violated. Well, I'm okay. with him because if the legislature sets that up, that's them saying they're a proxy for us. Sure, right? Um, okay, and so we know the liberals are not strict constructionists because they wouldn't be liberals on the court if they were, right? Like, Yeah, that's... at least in modern times, yeah, right? <laughs> And so that's uh, Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, and currently Stephen Breyer. And Stephen Breyer. Because he's not Breyer. retired yet. Okay. Right. So who does that leave as the Oh, unknown? so what happens with uh, Coney Barrett? We don't know because <gasps> she, she didn't sign off on the dissenting opinion, okay, that was co authored by Alito, Gorsuch, and Thomas and Kavanaugh wrote separately. Okay. So they can deny cert and then they can have dissenting opinions of denying cert? Yes. Okay, that's funny. Yeah, I'm that's sorry. You, that's just yeah, funny to me that yeah. We're not I mean, gonna it, hear you, but even if we did hear you, we want to hear it this way. Like, wow. Okay. Well, but, but I guess that's a you what you're talking about. It's a roadmap. Like they've let out it, a roadmap. It's a roadmap. Of, and, and Nia, you and I talked about this when we did the podcast episode on qualified immunity. We know that two of the justices would like the Supreme Court to revisit qualified immunity because Justices Sotomayor and Thomas wrote dissents to the court denying cases challenging qualified immunity. Right. They want to okay. talk about the issue. They want to. Okay. We know that two of the current justices, Thomas and Gorsuch, would like the Supreme Court to revisit its landmark freedom of the press ruling, New York Times versus Sullivan. Okay. Why do we know this? Because they both have written dissents to the court denying cases that would that have asked the court to revisit that precedent. Okay, 
Right. So we know this, right? But, you know, this is really fascinating because, Nia, you and I have talked about this in the past. What did the framers have in mind, right? I mean, it's not like the framers didn't know that states operated much like the federal government does. Right, that they right? had governors, that they had courts, that there would be judicial review. Like, yeah, right. I mean, there was judicial review in their time. It's not a shocking concept. Okay, so scholars who have looked at this doctrine are not, they have not been very positive about it. Okay. Okay, so first of all, many scholars have gone ahead and said that. Supreme Court precedent seems to be very clear. The other branches of state governments can participate, right? So if the Supreme Court did endorse the independent state legislature doctrine, they would basically be overturning at least, in my research, three, possibly four, Supreme Court precedents. Now, again, this would not upset Clarence Thomas at all. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't okay. care. Okay. He thinks he thinks previous courts got it all wrong most of the time. And if they did, according to Clarence Thomas, it doesn't matter if the country has relied on those precedents for 20 years, 100 years, 200 years. Let's get it right. Let's get it right. That's Clarence Thomas's view right? That's what his t-shirt says. Yeah, yeah. let's get, let's it, get right. it right. <laughs> okay. But as you've pointed out, Chief, Just Chief Justice John Roberts, he's more of an incrementalist. So he would have some issues. And quite obviously, the liberals on the court would have some issues. Because as far as they're concerned, state legislatures can't be trusted with voting. Okay. Well, and okay. <laughs> and Wait. to be fair, in in past that has been a problem, especially yes. in the South, um, yes. especially with denying people of color the right to vote. Well, um, in the North, political machines. Oh, that's right. Okay. Sorry, Tammany you know, Hall. Basically, and... rigging the system so that one political party could continue to dominate for decades. Right. Daily in Chicago. Okay. Well, I mean, you dictator know, for life. Okay. And, and think about this, listeners. It's not just Republican controlled state legislatures who have been enacting partisan gerrymandering districts for House elections. According to some election law experts, what the state of Illinois did, okay, this year rivals what the Republican legislatures in Pennsylvania and North Carolina attempted. Well, and New York. New York. I mean, there's been some pretty serious, let's cut out any Republican voting whatsoever in these states, which is not good either. It, it is not good when anyone does it. It's, yes. it's not fair. It's not ethical. It is not good when any, either side does it. So if you are whichever side you're on, you're wrong if you believe it's okay to do it. it, it but so, but what I'm, I guess what I'm, um, 
I'm interested in is is when the court has said that it's that <clears throat> legislature has a broader meaning than yes. the general assembly or whatever it is that you call it in your state. In Virginia, we call it the general assembly. Assembly. It's called different things in different states, but the legislative body that is like they mean other things, right? They mean <clears throat> anybody who can. I assume they mean. Well, legislature in that sense, in the founder sense, probably meant and governors and. Yeah, because what this, the previous State Supreme Court rulings have suggested, and a number of constitutional law scholars have pointed out, is that the framers probably meant the legislative process. Not just the legislature, but the lawmaking process. Ah, okay. and Madison just made legislature as a shorthand. That's right. Okay. Because he's like, they'll know what we mean. Yeah. <laughs> and the legislative process. Silly and, him. <laughs> well, and, and by the way, I mean, could you, could you theoretically, Nia, have a state that does not require a governor to sign bills into law? Sure. Sure, you could. Okay. Could you have a state? to where the judiciary is a committee of the state legislature. Sure. Weird, but yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, hey, that was one of the proposals for the federal government that was considered at the Constitutional Convention. Oh, well, thank goodness that didn't go through. Okay. But, you know, the framers' experience with the British crowd was, if you don't have an independent judiciary, the judiciary is basically just going to go ahead and ratify whatever the king or queen wants that right. ain't good right well or that would be tricameral government yeah right okay oh my gosh c-span would have a group heart attack we have oh to set God. another set of cameras up we have to have another feed we have to have <laughs> yeah. another set of analysts oh my goodness so but also how is that affected by executive orders within a government like a governor's office Oh, well, hey, I mean, this is, and this is one of the complaints, by the way, of some of the lawyers who advised Donald Trump post-2020 presidential election. Because we saw a lot of changes in states for the voting in the 2020 presidential elections that occurred because governors said, we have a pandemic. The state legislature can't or won't act quickly, so I'm issuing an executive order that makes it easier, for instance, to vote by mail. Right. Or to have individuals collect a whole bunch of absentee ballots and take it to the post office, even though our state laws or our state constitution don't cover that contingency. And almost all of those were upheld by federal courts, including the Supreme Court. Okay, so they, so they can, when they mean the word legislature, what they mean is anyone who has, who is elected by the people and has. Or has legislative functions as part of their job. Gotcha. Right? I mean, because a lot of state constitutions and a lot of state legislatures, much like 
the United States Congress, has delegated legislative power to whom? Which branch, Nia? Of the executive. state government. The executive. Right. Well, okay. just like the federal legislature has handed over enormous powers to the to the president, president. or to the, yeah. the executive. The executive branch, right? It's happening at all levels of government. Augie and I don't like it, by the way, at any level of government. We don't think it's a good idea. You can't just can't just hand over your responsibility. That's not how accountability works. It, and, and it also creates perverse incentives for exec for chief executives of government. Right. Because after a while, okay, many presidents, many governors, many mayors begin to think that there are no effective limits on what they can do. Exactly. Okay? <laughs> and again, this brings us back to yeah, government the, tyranny. Right? The executive privilege clause does not actually cover, you know, <laughs> your private business dealings. Like it doesn't, right? or you know, things just, you said after you left office or, right, like calm down there, Bubaloo, but yeah. Okay, well, even if we're not talking about executive privilege, okay, if I'm a governor and I've looked at what, previous governors have done in a time of crisis and the state legislature and the state courts have not checked my predecessors. Do you actually think I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, I'm not going to exercise all of those emergency powers. I uh. mean, again, we we've talked about this in a previous podcast episode. When you run to be governor, when you run to be president, you're not running to go ahead and say, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and reign in the office. Yeah, how can I share power? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Almost nobody runs on the platform of, I'm going to share power across the... Yeah, I mean, no. these, are, these are people with... I'm going to push gonna, through my ideas. I'm and gonna I'm going to do it because I believe... I'm going to be diplomatic here, and I'm going to say, these are, not, these are people with very healthy egos. <laughs> yes. Who believe they have a mandate. Yes. Okay. Uh, Elections so, should matter, right? So with so is there a case where they specifically said that a governor's veto is legitimate? Uh yeah. Um uh what case? Okay. Oh, you're talking about uh, Smiley versus Holm in 1932. Am okay. I? Is that what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that is the case uh, where uh, a state governor vetoed a bill uh, that would impact the time, times, places, and manner of federal elections. Okay. Um, and the Supreme Court, and this is a case in 1932, uh, the Supreme Court said um, uh, state election laws should be enacted the same way as any other state law is enacted. Okay, so election laws aren't special. That's right. Okay. They're, they're just like every other law. They, they have to go through the process, including veto and then override if you really, really want it, or it comes back to you and you rewrite it. In, in, okay. in the most recent case, Nia, is when Arizona, um, um, the voters uh, in a referendum created an uh, independent redistricting commission. And the state legislature didn't like that because it basically took 
the power to redistrict away from the legislature. And the state legislature appealed the whole way to the US Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said that our precedents clearly established, okay, that redistricting is a legislative function, okay, um, and must comply with state constitutional provisions, okay, whether it be referendum or how state laws are passed. And if the voters of Arizona wanted an independent redistricting commission, so be it. So did they amend their state constitution to have a redistricting? Oh, yes. So then yes. it becomes, sorry, this is part of the state. This becomes okay, part of the so, state constitution. So let me, yes. let me ask then, if I'm understanding this correctly, that basically the question here has been, what is the will of the voters? Yes, because- And then, and the Supremes are falling onto the side of the will of the voters. The voters. They're saying, yeah. if, if your state constitution says that a governor has a veto, then the governor has a veto. If your state constitution says that there's a, there's a commission, then there's a commission because you had to get a referendum or you had to agree as a group. Yes. That that was going to be the constitution, and if you don't like the constitution of your state, you can move. Yes. Or you can try to change the constitution of your state. And okay. for me, and for me, as somebody who teaches the structure of government in the United States, the third critique. So we've already mentioned two, right? One is Supreme Court precedent would suggest that the independent state legislature doctrine, okay, is not gonna fly. So that's court precedent. Second, if you look at the practices of the states at the time these clauses of the US Constitution were written, pretty much every state required any bill to go through a two-step process. The legislature approves it, and then the governor has to sign it. But for me, particularly because I, listeners, truth be told, I am a fan of checks and balances, right? The third criticism really resonates with me, Nia, which is if the court endorsed the independent state, legislate, independent state legislature doctrine, the courts would be completely cut out of reviewing whatever legislatures do. And I got a problem with that, right? Because I think state courts, much like federal courts, okay, act as a really good oversight mechanism, okay? They act, they act as a check, okay? So you like judicial review? I do like judicial review, okay? I like it, okay? Um, I think there should be a, a, an institution in government that basically goes ahead and says, this complies with the federal constitution or this complies with the state constitution. Again, it acts as a break on perhaps the people and the people's elected representatives from acting too fast, right? You know, I like it when or I get with into, malice. Yeah. Or, you know, I like it when I get into my car and I test out my brakes and they work because <laughs> I know at times when I get on the road, okay, I am not 
a safe driver, okay? I might drive too, too quickly. And I like knowing that my brakes work. I know that that may not be a really accurate metaphor, but you know, hopefully it makes sense. Is the argument on the other side of that that about judicial activism? Is the yes. argument on the other side yes. that then justices will take us where we are not ready to go or where the legislature did not intend for us or, to go? Or, you know, as um, you know, Scalia once said, if the Constitution doesn't prohibit a practice, then states should be able to engage in it. So if state legislatures want to craft a very partisan gerrymandered map of congressional districts, why is it that a bunch of lawyers who became judges should say no? Well, and I would argue about fairness in that instance, right? There's a well, the question not, of fairness. I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a particular fan, Nia, of gerrymandering where we have elected officials basically deciding who their voters will be. Right, which, okay. which is a whole entire separate issue and a different uh, podcast. But I, I, I think that I, that seems to be the strongest argument to me of all of it is the idea that it falls apart without someone to say whether, so, okay. It comes down to dispute. Our, we as Americans are some of the most argumentative people on the face of the planet. Yes. Right? <laughs> molecules are moving in the air. No, they're not. Yes, they are. No, they're not. Right? And then you need a scientist to say, yes, molecules are moving in the air. The scientist acts as your judge, right? That person is knowledgeable. That person is, is an expert in their field. That's why we believe, well, most of us believe in experts in their field. Some of us are chuckleheads and don't believe in in things because we don't believe in science, but we're not talking to those people because we can't help those people. But if you believe that there are, th that there will be disputes and that they must be settled, then you have to have a system that builds that in. And I promise you, we have to have that in our system because we are the most disputing people. I mean, we are seriously the most litigious country in the world. It's, and it's not just because we graduate a plethora of law students every year. It's because Americans firmly and fundamentally believe they have rights. Whether those rights really exist or not, you can see other episodes in this series. But I it's, mean, in this, it, it's it me. It's hardwired into American political culture, right? right? I mean, and it has been for most of our country's history. I mean, think well, about this. Marbury, I mean, think about this. Marbury v. Madison was 1803. 1803. Right? So that's pretty much when we get, you know, we need an adult in the room. <laughs> well, I mean, even think about the Declaration of Independence. We basically went ahead and wrote a document, okay, a, a, a kiss off to the British <laughs> crown, okay, where we basically went ahead and said, okay, you're violating our rights. Right. Okay? We have these grievances. Yeah, we have these And then grievances. we enumerated them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, then we listed them, right? <laughs> right. Okay. 
<laughs> because <laughs> Americans are nothing if not thorough about being willing to enumerate their grievances. <laughs> I mean, it's what uh, 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 Harvard uh, law professor Marianne Glendon talks about the American uh, culture of rights talk, right? I have a right to do X, <laughs> Correct. okay? And if you infringe upon that right, well, by God, I'm going to court. That's okay? right. I, that's correct. I'm going to sue and, yes. and somebody gets to settle it, right? And yes. usually yes. the good thing about this country is that I, I was talking to a student yesterday about this, about the peaceful transition of power. Usually when a judge makes a judgment, we accept the judgment. Like we, yes, even if we appeal it up to the Supreme Court, once the Supreme say, Kefelnoffel, we say, okay, Kefelnoffel, and we all go home, and that's, yes. and we yes. now believe that that's the rule, and we all then live by the rule until somebody brings up a different lawsuit that changes it. But whatever the, the final court of appeal says, we tend to say, okay, well, that's that. And, and you know, I don't know, I can't conceive of a system where we don't have that, where we don't have somebody to go ahead and say, you've crossed the line. And this went, is the final answer. This is yes, you, you went too far, right? Okay. And, uh, and again, maybe I just I, don't have enough imagination, but I'm with you. I think that the whole thing falls apart if you don't have if you cannot appeal something to the Supreme or to the state Supreme Court and say, they're stomping on my rights and the state Supreme Court says, indeed they are, and they have to stop. Yes. Then the agency has to stop. They have to stop stomping on your rights. Or if the court says, your rights are not being stomped on, sit down. Then, <laughs> yeah. then you have to sit down, right? Like you have to say, okay, well, I just have to deal with my hurt feelings. But I, I'm with you. I don't think, I, I think that by saying, legislature and meaning a very specific body you are empowering the snot out of that one group of people and, and, to and, almost and, an extreme and, and we know nia they have and again i'm not being critical of them when i say this they have a lot of self-interest right okay to 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 redraw maps that are going to benefit either them or their party, right? Well, and, again, and, do, and, and do we really want that group? I mean, consider civil rights again. Do we really want a Southern white legislature in Mississippi in 1950 making the only rules about who can vote and when and how? If there's no way to take that to a court, if there's no way to have an argument about whether they're doing it fairly or equitably, then then there's no recourse for for the minority again yes. it becomes a majority rule and there's no recourse for the minority something that you've talked about on multiple episodes that that's, that's the court is there to protect the minority voice the minority that's why the court says on a regular basis neo-nazis can march in greensboro north carolina like they can have a license and they can go mar or a permit and they can go march because it's wrong to to suppress their speech because then we get into the de deciding whose speech we're going to suppress and then it becomes what we're talking about here which is how is the legislature feeling today are they feeling like they're going to suppress 
the rights of college professors and college librarians to have a podcast. We we want to have recourse about that. and, And remember, listeners, this doctrine concerns two clauses in the U.S. Constitution about voting. Right. Correct. I mean, one of the most essential acts of a democracy, right? I would argue the the central act. Okay, the ability to go ahead and hold accountable government officials. I mean, you you can't get- To air your grumpiness in public. Yeah, right? I mean, you can't (laughs) get any more important, okay, than than voting in a democracy, right? You really can't. Okay. I mean, brass tacks, that's what separates us from other forms of government. Yeah, whether or not, you know, some government body says, you know, university librarians and college, you know, and university professors um, can't have a podcast. Well, you know, hey, I, I'm not entirely sure that that is an essential right found in the Constitution. <laughs> OK, it's not going to go ahead and, you know, call into question, you know, the republic. Right. <laughs> but if they went ahead and said, you know, sorry, you can't vote. Okay, and the folks who get to decide this are supposed to be representing you in government. I don't know. That just sounds really, you know, problematic. Okay. Correct. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that that, and by the way, it would be a violation of our free speech, and I would fight. But, um, (laughs) but well, but the but that. I, I do think that it, I, I agree that the court has had the correct sort of interpretation of the word legislation. And I think probably the scholars are right that the founders meant the legislative process. They process. meant that, that, that there should be a legislative process that decides and that fairly and legitimately decides how many electors there are going to be, how elections are going to be run, that sort of thing. And then there ought to be a way to have grievance if it's not done properly. And I always thought that those two clauses in particular, and I've said this to my students in uh, my constitutional law classes, I always thought that those two clauses were the framers making sure that states had a role. Ah, uh. Instead of it being the federal, okay. Okay, that it was not going to be imposed by the national government, a uniform, you know, a completely uniform system um, on states, okay? That this was more of a, a recognition of federalism and less about giving just state legislatures the ultimate authority, right? Because um, it forces, if you will, Nia, uh, a discussion, a negotiation between the federal government and state governments. Because if state governments enact time, place, and manner restrictions on voting that violate civil liberties in the US Constitution, the federal government can override them, okay? As- as is part of the Civil Rights Act, when you can't discriminate at the poll against people for well, that's the that's the Voting vari- Rights Act. Sorry, the Voting Rights Act. Okay, on but, a variety but, of issues, you cannot discriminate. But I mean, think about the Fifteenth Amendment. Okay, you can't deny the vote to those who were previously enslaved. 
right? Right. That's the Fed saying to the states, you can't do that. And that's part of a negotiation. Right. Free actually means free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't mean free up to the point where you don't want it to be free anymore. Like that's not. You know, when, when we passed an amendment to the U.S. Constitution in the 1960s, Nia, to get rid of the poll tax, okay, again, that was an interaction between the federal government and state governments where the Fed said, yeah, you can't force only wealth. You cannot allow just wealthy people the right to vote, Okay. You know, what your bank account says should not be a requirement, okay, for, for you to vote, okay? Is it um, not what the not what the idea of democracy intends? Democracy is about, yeah. Democracy right? is not for the wealthy and tyranny for the poor. Like, that should not be, you know, you've the missed the point of democracy if that's what you believe. You know, when you get the 19th Amendment, it was designed to go ahead at, you know, and be a direct, if you will, response to those states that did not allow women to vote. Okay? Right. And again, that's how I always viewed those clauses. So when I saw this argument being made increasingly, I was just like, wow, okay? This is a completely different spin on these two clauses um concerning voting and elections um so i want to wrap up by saying that you've taught me something very important um in the in the in the lead up to this episode and i was reading notes and and i was reading other things that you've sent me um i thought the constructionists were not strict constructionists were not jobs and i didn't want to have anything to do with them um, and I had a sort of crisis of faith earlier this week because all of a sudden I was like, wait, they have a point. Oh no, now what do I do? Right. Cause, and it made me think about the fact that what we talk about here is civil discourse. And part of what we talk about here is understanding the other side, stopping yes. and listening. And one of the things in your notes that made me stop and think was it is not that Justice Thomas, and I'm picking on him, but it's not just him. It's been lots of justices. Scalia comes to mind, Alito, lots of others. It's not that Justice Thomas believes that there is inherent perfection in the Constitution. He does not think it is. He's not like treating it like the Bible, right, where some people say it is the inerrant word of God. He is not saying it is the inerrant word of the founders. What he's saying is this is what the text says. And if you don't think that's what it should mean, Congress, side eye, go fix it. Yes. So that it says what you think it should say. That the do- He's actually wanting, a strict constructionalist actually wants the document to be edited and updated to say what we mean or to live by what it says if we believe what it says is what we mean. Yeah. And I had that mind-blowing thing this week, and I was like, oh, man, now I don't know how I feel about any of the justices ever. So thanks, Augie. I appreciate you ruining my life. (laughs) (laughs) Took Schoolhouse Rock from me, just taking all kinds of things from me over the years. Yeah. I'm I'm kidding. But 
but but but, but you, you know, know assuming and, and i say he, this and i, I say just this kind of me. assumed it was evil and negative to to you know I, or it, not negative but negative intent and now i'm like no it's a whole different it, it, it's a different conception of democracy right, right. because for many strict constructionists they are fundamentally skeptical of the one branch of the federal government that is unelected actually updating the meaning of the permanent governing document in a democracy which they are right to be and i had not i've not even <laughs> okay grasped that concept until this week that that's what they're saying is is no really we think it should be a living document we think you should if, if if the will of the people is, is these to fix, two clauses should be changed, okay, then, then, amend, the, then, amend, the, <laughs> then amend the Constitution. Okay? Hey, Congress, here's the red pen. Sit <laughs> down in the archives with that big piece of parchment paper and start marking through things. I mean, you know, let's, it, it, let's it not actually do that. But yeah. Convince both houses of Congress that there should be a change and then convince a whole bunch of states to ratify the change, and then the Constitution will read the way you want it to. Right. But and the way the people want it want to. Want it to. But having a bunch of unelected federal judges, okay. Interpret um, each clause of the Constitution, which as we know, the entire thing is just one clause after another. Yeah. <laughs> it's one giant run-on clause. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we've discussed that before. Uh, it, it, yes, it, my it, bitterness about the language and the. If you're an English major, uh, reading the U.S. Constitution, okay, just you know, is an don't. exercise in wanting you to just go ahead and end your life. <laughs> right, like you don't, because it's just going to make you cry and sad. Yeah, and probably right. drink. Um, but I wanted to thank you because I have yeah. never. Yeah, thought it, about it, them in that way before. I had just sort of dismissed them as they're sort of zealots, and they are zealots. But they're zealots that I'm starting to say, well, they may have a point about about that. They may it, they it, may it, say, it, it, you know, well, if we could clear up the language, then there wouldn't be these lawsuits and these questions and these questionable activities that go on in the states that have to be that have to be adjudicated like we could take care of all of that if we could clean up in 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 in, in likewise nia i oftentimes say to individuals who are strict constructionists some of these words some of these phrases some of these clauses are so vague and ambiguous can you not understand where loose constructionists are coming from right um you know was that part of what the framers had in mind? And of course, they just look at me like I have five heads, right? But I said, you know, you know, did the framers actually mean just the state legislature with these two clauses? Right. Or is the Supreme Court been correct in these precedents that more than likely the framers meant the legislative process? Right. Because lawmaking in almost every constitution, democratic constitution that I'm aware of, Nia, lawmaking is a process. And and it's intended to be a process because it's intended to be slow and thoughtful and 
Yeah, an we advers- want them to adversarial. Think about stuff. Yes, we want it to right? be adversarial. We want there to be as many voices in the room. Like one of the great things about democracy is that it's adversarial. But by that same token, right? So there's points on both sides, and um, and I think it's a, it was a good reminder for me because I had a huge sort of uh, block in my vision about these people just thinking that they were okay you can't just worship the words right but they're like no words have meaning and if you want the words to have the right meaning you need to fix it so that it says what you what what we all think it should say and that may mean that we end up with 287 amendments because we got to fix a bunch of stuff and then you know what 40 years after that we may have to do it again because it may be that meaning changes again over time, depending yes. on and, and the depending US on con- society. And, and you and I have talked about this, Nia. The U.S. Constitution, compared to many other democratic nation-state constitutions, um, has hardly, I mean, comparatively, has been amended very few times. Right. Okay. I mean, and, and I always go back to the example of how the French the French <laughs> have had five constitutions during the same period, roughly the same period as the United States having one, right? I mean, they just don't amend their constitution. They scrap it and start over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? I'm like, good Lord, people, how do you do that, right? Okay. And yet France survives. Yes. And yep. thrives. I mean, yes. Yes. so, you know, there are other ways of doing it. I mean, the Brits, okay, didn't have a written constitution for all intents and purposes until the 1970s. How do you run a how do you run a government without a constitution? Right? How do you run an entire empire without a constitution? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. You get the Magna Carta, but anyway. Um, anyway, thank you, Augie. This is yeah, been, this is a great yeah, this has been a great discussion. Yes. This this has been good for me. And thank you for helping me understand sort of where they're coming from and why we may see another case that comes out where they actually do take on this question. And I'm assuming what they will do is side-eye Congress and say, Y'all could fix that. Yeah, you should you, know, you should fix that. Yeah, you should fix this, or you know, hey, um, you know, uh the justices who support the doctrine, they may not win, but if the vote is like five to four, okay, um, it could send a pretty clear message that you know Congress or s- state governments should give some thought to having very clear redistricting processes in place. What do you really mean, okay? What do you mean, yeah? Yeah, that'll be fun. (laughs) All right, we'll talk again soon. (laughs) Sounds good, Nia. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU libraries. Special thanks to the workshop for technical assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash 
Discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.